Well, good morning. Welcome to the sanctuary of the Palm Beaches. And this is our Sunday school. I'm excited to be here this morning. I miss being behind this sacred desk. I love doing relief and, and, and charity work, but there's nothing like preaching the word of God. There is nothing like hearing the word of God. It is the word of God that makes us sons of God. It, it, it inspires faith, and we believe God, and we're transformed by the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to hear your word. We thank you, Lord God, that we're in the land of the living. We have breath in our bodies. And because we have breath in our bodies, Lord, we will do what you have commanded us to do. You said that everything that has breath, praise the Lord. So this morning we praise you, Jesus. We lift up your name. We thank you for your love and your compassion. We thank you for your counsel, for your word, which is true. We thank you, God, for your blood that sanctifies us, that justifies us, that makes us covenant people. We thank you for your spirit, Lord Jesus, that gives us power, power to be a witness, power to overcome sin. We thank you, Lord, for your gospel, the good news of who you are, Jesus, and what you have done for us. Open up our ears, our spiritual ears, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We love you. We appreciate you. We magnify your name this morning. You are Jehovah. You are God Almighty. And we love you in Jesus' name. And we say amen. You may be seated. Praise God. We've been going through a couple of lessons, and um, the message is called God's Word Made Plain. We want to emphasize the doctrines of the Bible. We want to emphasize the essential truths of God's Word. Sometimes we go so far into the Word of God that we forget the foundation and the truths of God's Word. Praise the Lord. There are eight essential doctrines of the Bible. I'm going to go through it quick and then go on to, to um, today's lesson. So the first one is God. There's a doctrine of God. Second, the Bible, scriptures. Third, angels. Fourth, humanity. Five, Jesus Christ. There is a doctrine of salvation. There is a doctrine of the church. And the last is called the end time or last things. These doctrines are God's teachings. He teaches us his ways. He teaches us these things so we can understand the kingdom of God. There are things that we can't see that are going on behind the scenes. And God wants to bring light and revelation to those things. So we will, have, we will know in whom we have hope in and we will know what is going on when things seem confusing. God is a God of light. The Bible itself does not attempt to prove that God exists. It assumes he exi his existence as elementary. Creation itself bears witness that there is an intelligent, all-powerful, loving creator. The Bible is not given to us to prove that there is a God, but to show us 
to bring to light who he is. Christ said himself, all of the Psalms and the prophets are about me. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, God is showing us himself. He's showing us how he deals with humanity. If you don't know how God is dealing with you, go check out Abraham. Look at Moses, King David. We see how God deals with humans. We see how merciful he is, how loving he is, and how at the appointed time he came in the flesh himself and paid the price for us so we may live. Amen? I want to go over a few things that I spoke about previously, and you can find these teachings and these sermons and teachings on our website, thesanctuarypb.com. If you go there and go to sermons, there is an archive of teachings, Sunday school and preaching. And you, you go back and take notes and meditate on the word of God so you may be changed. So in the past, we spoke about God's word. John 17, 17 says this, sanctify them through thy truth. That word sanctifies means to set apart, to make holy. He says it's done by the truth. Then he says, thy word is truth. Can we say it real quick? Thy word is truth. If you want to find truth for your life, truth for your circumstances, God's scriptures, his word is truth. You'll find the answer for life. In John 8, 32, he says, and you shall know the truth or the word. And the truth, the word, shall make you free. If you're in bondage in life, in any category or circumstance, the word of God is able to deliver you. The word of God, when, when understood, when read and understood and applied, will deliver you from any trouble. It could be financial. It could be depression in your mind. It could be spiritual. It could be in your body. The word of God has the power to deliver you from any trouble. Can we say amen? We spoke about man's need of salvation. We spoke about, from the start with Adam and Eve, how sin began, the sin of disobedience. We spoke about man cannot save himself. We cannot save ourselves. Our intellect can't save us. Our good works alone cannot save us. There is one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Our works can't save us. Our righteousness can't save us. Our goodness, even our religion, cannot save us. Only Christ, our Lord, can save. And God has given us provision, we spoke about, for salvation. And that provision is Christ himself. So we see the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament. We spoke about that. That the law was given by the Lord to Moses on Mount Sinai. And we have the priests and the sacrifices and the blood sacrifices and all that good stuff, all pointing to Calvary. We spoke about the law being temporary, the do's and the don'ts and the what not to do's and what to do. Those laws and decrees were temporary for saving us, not saying that they're not good and holy and commanded today, but because the flesh was weak, the law of Moses couldn't help us because we could not obey God's law. 
It's a hard thing to, to obey God's law on your own. You need the spirit of grace. You need God himself to help you, to empower you to do what he asks. Philippians 2.13 says that, by the way. So the law was temporary, just magnifying sin. God want, wanted us to know how helpless we were. He wanted us to know that when he says do not do, that's what we're going to do. And we can't help it. Even when we don't want to do it, there's something inside of us. Evil is present inside of us, causing us to do the things that God said we should not do. So God wanted to emphasize the weakness of our flesh so we will know without him there is no life. Amen? So God provided the lamb, and that lamb was introduced by John, announced by the angels. He declared himself who he was, Jesus Christ. Then he died, his death. Then his burial. Then his resurrection. Christ died in your name, in my name, <laughs> and rose in his name. And then conferred to us a kingdom. Wow. An amazing thing he did for us. The Lord, is he's a conqueror. He saw our helplessness. He saw the fear men had of death because men were so wicked. And instead of wiping us out and starting new, he decided to pay the price that he set because he's righteous. The person that pays the price is the person that gets paid, right? So Jesus says in, in the word of God that the wages, the payment for sin is death. If you sin, disobey my word, you deserve to die and you will die. And instead of canceling that, that decree, he fulfilled it because he's a just God. So we didn't get away easily. He paid it for us. It cost him his blood. And he paid the price for me and you so we can worship him and come to his throne boldly and find grace and help in a time of need. That's why we are forbidden as believers to doubt. We are forbidden to live under con condemnation because God has done a great thing for us. He has forgiven us for all of our sins. If you're here today and, and you have fallen and you're trying to find your way back to God, believe. Just believe. Say, God, forgive me. Confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It is done. Then our Lord ascended into the clouds back to his throne. But he promised to return again. And before his return, he told the apostles, I want you to go tarry and wait in Jerusalem. Don't, don't preach. Don't preach. Don't do anything yet. Don't minister until you receive the Holy Ghost. Don't even go out there and testify about me until you receive the anointing. The anointing makes the difference. We cannot save anyone. But when God's approval is upon you, and when God has anointed your weakness, yes, you can't speak well probably. You're not the, the, the most intelligent person on the planet. But when the anointing of God is upon you, you can say Jesus and people will feel something and come to Christ through your testimony, through your word, when God anoints you. So God told Peter, who just denied him, and doubting Thomas, right? He said, go wait. 
You're too weak on your own. I know you, I know you followed me for three and a half years, but go wait for the promise. And when the promise came, that same man who denied him and cussed preached the first message to the same Jews who killed Jesus. Isn't that something? The anointing makes the difference. God is good. So today, I want to speak about the church. Let's say together, the church. We're going to find out what the church is. I can't exhaust the subject, but I'll do my best to hit the main points. Amen? So the church, in the Greek, the New Testament, the Greek word is ekklesia or ecclesia. Literally, a gathering of citizens. It's not really a religious term. You see, when Paul and, and those men of those days coined that, that word church, they were referring to something, something that was common. The people would gather. The citizens of, of that town would gather together, right, for very, very important meetings. And they would plan for the city and deliberate and do things. And, and that was called the ecclesia, the gathering of the city. The gathering of the city for counsel, for planning, for whatever, for, 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 for being strategic in their, in their town. And usually these gatherings happened at the gate. The gate is very important. The gate is where things come in and go out. And at the gate, the people will come together and begin to deliberate and talk about what's next. So Paul, seeing this common practice, something in Paul was triggered. He said, that's the church. The church are the citizens of the kingdom of God who come together and deliberate. They, they hear the counsel of the king right here in the church. It's the people. Amen? When we come here, we don't come here just to burn time. But we come here because we want to hear a word. A lot of us are going through things that we can't explain. There's, there's, there's things going on in our lives that we need God to help us in. And we come to the church just to hear a word. Because we know if we hear a word from the king... And we hold on to that word and faith arise. We will get what we are asking for. Praise the Lord. So Paul saw this practice of the people gathering together. And he said, the Ecclesia. Here it says, well, actually, I want to define a citizen. I know, I know we know what a citizen is, but I want to define it anyway, just in case. A citizen is a legally recognized subject or person, a legally recognized person or national of a state or commonwealth, either native or naturalized. That's a citizen. Someone that is legally associated with the country. That's a citizen. You know, sometimes when I minister to people, you know, in the world, and, and I mentioned Christ and the kingdom of God and being born again to, to, to be a citizen. Amen? They say to me things like this, well, God is good to me, so I must be saved. God, he, he answered my prayers and he protects me and he's loving. Well, that is true. God is loving and, and he will protect you and provide for you even before you're a citizen. But what country does not do that? Think about it. When Hurricane Dorian demolished the Bahamas. Didn't America take in some people temporarily? Didn't we send relief and help? 
But did that make those people citizens of America? No. So God's goodness to you and his love towards you does not make you a citizen. You have to go through the process to be legalized. Just like in the natural, so in the spiritual, right? You have to be legalized. There, there is a process that we go through as immigrants or foreigners to be a citizen of this country. We come, we apply. We go to the government, we apply. We turn in our names and we, we wait through the process. If we don't do the process correctly, you're denied. It's the same thing in the spirit. The, the wisdom of men, the government of men comes from God. All knowledge comes from him. Nothing is really man-made. We're just copying what God has done. So if that's true in the natural, that must mean that the gospel is a serious thing. If, if America does not have a gray area where anyone could become a citizen, but you must follow to the T the process, it's the same thing for God's word. Praise the Lord. Amen. So we see the Ecclesia, not only in the New Testament, but we see the Ecclesia, the gathering of the citizens in the Old Testament. And we see the writer Luke in Acts chapter 7, verse 37 through 38, saying this. He says, This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear. Verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. He, Moses. Moses was with the church in the wilderness. So, so, so the, the, the church is not a new thing. When the Israelites traveled through the wilderness, they were gathered together. They were called out of Egypt. They were called out of the world. You see, the, you see that? Like Abraham was called out of the land of the Chaldees. God calls us out and gather us together and lead us. And he says, that's the church. And in Israel, he gave them what? The law, the tabernacle. He taught them how to worship. He taught them how to trust God, how to, how to trust him, to call on his name. And it's the same today. So the same church that you see in the old it's the same church that you see today in the new. Praise the Lord. But in the spirit, we now assemble with the angels and the saints of old. Do you know that right now in prayer, you can access God and be among the saints of old and the angels right now? Have you noticed sometimes at home when you pray, after you get to a certain place in prayer, you feel like you're not alone? You can't see anybody, but you just feel like somebody's here with me. There's people with me while I'm praying. I want to show you in the word that we are no longer coming to Mount Sinai, a mountain that could be touched. But when we pray, it's like we're transfigured to a new dimension, and now we come to Mount Zion, where there are angels and saints and Christ himself with us in a time of prayer. It's powerful. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 24. 
verse 18 says this. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They were afraid when God spoke. 20. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. There's an Old Testament when they came to Mount Sinai and they wanted God to speak to them, the people of Israel, himself. And when he spoke, there was lightning and fire and clouds and, and an earthquake. And, and God said, if, if any man or beast touched the end of the, of the mountain, they would die. There was fear there. There was fear. And he said, Moses, stop. Don't let God speak anymore to us. It's too much for us to handle. And from that day forward, God made a mediator between God and man because of their requests. But 22 says this, but ye, speaking of now the new covenant, the new dispensation of grace, this time where we have access to God, where there's no fear, where we come to God boldly, he says, but ye are come unto Mount Zion. He's not saying that we're coming. He says that we have come now. So we see that the mountain is not before us. So it has to be spiritual. He says, when you pray, you come now to Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to a noble company of angels, to the general assembly, and here it is, and church of the firstborn. Who is the firstborn? Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn, the first to resurrect, to live forever. You see, when men died before Christ's resurrection, they died again. We see Lazarus. It was a wonderful miracle. Lazarus, come forth. Dead longer than three days. Stinking probably. Wrapped up. And God called him forth and said, loose him. But years later, he died again. Because Christ says, I am the resurrection, but a time has not come yet. But he wanted to show the people who he was. He says, if you don't believe me, believe the works I'm doing. Only God can do this. Only God can raise the dead. Only God can open up blind eyes. But all those men who were healed, they died again. Because Christ wanted to be the captain of our salvation. He wanted to lead us first in a long line procession of saints going up to the holy city. So Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost picked up that body and said, come here. And made that body a new body, a, 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 a transformed body that we will get one day. And Christ was the first. So now the church is called the church of the firstborn. Oh, I love that. The church of the firstborn. That's who we are, people of God. When you are praying, there's angels flapping their wings. Sometimes when I pray or, or I'm in worship, I feel a wind. But there's no fan next to me. You know what I'm talking about. There's no fan. The AC's not even on. I'm not under any vents. But we're so deep in the spirit that we can sense the heavens. 
We can sense Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. We can feel the angels. We can feel the glory of God. Prayer is so powerful. Prayer will, will, will translate you from this flesh into a different dimension. And you start hearing things you have never heard before. Hallelujah. Listen, I want to tell you something. If you're depressed today, if you are down or, or confused in life, find a place to pray. It's time to get back to prayer. My brother here preached it this Saturday, Brother Cooper, on prayer. It was powerful. It's time to get back to prayer, praying to God, entreating the Lord, and he will be entreated. And you will see things happen in your life. People can't help us, but God can. It says, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, I mean Hebrews 12, 23, which are written in heaven. I love that, that our names are written. God has a, a ledger, a, 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 a roll of people written. He's there. Our names are there. He has a book of his citizens, just like the people here in America. They have a, 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 a um, database with their citizens, with social, social security numbers, that they know who's who. God is the same. God keeps records. He says, your name is written, and no man can erase it. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's good news. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things out of Abel. His blood speaks mercy. His mercy is in the church. His compassion is in the church. God is here right now in the midst of us. We are safe in the church. We are safe in his hands. We are the church of the firstborn, the church of the living God. And it's a privilege to be in it. And Paul, our brother Paul, gives us a detailed description of what the church is. In 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, in verse 15, it says this, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, listen, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of of truth. Paul said that the, the church is the house of God. God dwells here. God doesn't visit his house. He lives in his house. And when we gather together, God is in the midst of us. And he calls the church the house of God. But he calls the church the pillar. A pillar is for support. He's saying that the church is a place of support. Every joint supplieth the need, like in the body. When we are connected together, when we are in agreement together in the church, the gifts of the Holy Ghost begin to operate. The supernatural is released, and we find comfort, and we are supported by one another in the church of God. And not only is it a place of support, but it's the ground of truth. It's where truth is preached. It's where truth is declared. It's where truth is believed. And when the truth is declared and it's believed, it's where people are made free in the church. Praise God. 
You are a free woman, a free man, if you are in the church of the firstborn today, in Jesus' name. And our Lord, our Lord Christ, he's the head. He's the head honcho. He is the president, the king, the everything in our lives. The Bible says that he is the head of the church in Colossians chapter 118. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn, I told you, from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. When it speaks about the beginning, it's a deep thing. That word, so I love word studies. So that, that word beginning, it means more than just the first. It is that. But it means that he's the head of all principalities, all spirits. If you have an issue today with a demon or a spirit, go to Jesus. He is the head of everything. All, the whole spiritual world bows down to the name of Jesus. That's why in the church we don't fear the enemy. We don't lift him up and magnify him and talk about spirits and demons antagonizing us. What we do, we pray. And when the unction of the Holy Ghost comes on us, we declare in his name, get behind me, Satan. And he has to go. The Bible says if we first submit to God, submit to the king as citizens, submit to his laws, his decrees, his ways of doing things, right? Then we resist the enemy by submitting to God. It says he will flee. That's the word. God cannot lie. If your children are being antagonized by spirits and they're acting funny, pray and fast. Pray to the Lord. And don't wait to come to church. Pray in your home. Get some oil. Pray in your home. Contact Jesus. And when he speaks to you, lay hands on those children and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you shall live and not die. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. The church is the body of baptized believers who have obeyed God's plan of salvation. There is only one church, people of God. One body. I know we have many organizations, many different religions. But there's one church. In God's eye, he sees one church. The church that has the ground of truth. The church that preaches his word without compromise. The church that loves the Lord and obey his commands. There is one church, no matter what anybody says. There's one body. God is, is, is not a mutant. He has one body, and he dwells in that body. And his people are the members of that body. And there is one faith, mean one doctrine, one, one Bible to believe. Not a mixture of different doctrines in the Bible that says different things about the same thing. One clear-cut belief and doctrine. And that's what we need to follow to be in the church. The church is promised in Matthew 16, 18. And Christ says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Figuratively, the gates of Hades or hell refers to the power of Satan and his host as commanding Hades, the realm of death, including both the grave and the place of departed spirits. Death and hell are the effect of sin. Satan is the father of sin and the lord of hell. Those whom he holds under sin, he holds under death. 
The redeeming work of Christ overcame the power of sin and hence the power of Satan and hell. The church is the company of the redeemed and as such cannot be overcome by all the powers of hell. Hell has no power over us. Remember the gates? In the beginning, I spoke about the gathering of the people, the ecclesia, and at the gate, they deliberated and they had strategy. Well, the Bible says the gates of hell. What does that mean? The strategy of hell would not prevail against us. See, Satan is very organized. Jesus said himself, a kingdom divided can't stand. And Satan understands that. So him and his demons are organized. You never see a demon fighting demons in the Bible. They're organized. And they know what makes us tick in the natural, in the flesh. And sometimes, all the time, they plan on taking us out and they want us to embarrass Jesus publicly. They want us to deny him publicly and do things contrary to the word of God. But the Lord said this. He said the gates, the strategy of hell will not prevail against his church. And that's a promise. Why do you think sometimes we do things but nobody finds out why? God is covering us. He don't want to embarrass you or the church. He's given us a space of grace to access his power to overcome sin. So we mess up, but no one knows. And we mess up and we continue to, to be anointed in these things because God is helping us to overcome. Because if Satan could embarrass us, if Satan could, 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 could publicly disgrace us, we'll probably walk away because of shame. But God says that the strategy of hell will not prevail. The church was, was promised to us in Acts 1.5. I'm, I'm, I'm going to close now. In Acts 5, it was promised to us. It says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. The church was established in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, when it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared on, unto them cloving tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 120 people were filled because God knew that he was going to spread this gospel out to the world, and he knew one man couldn't do it. So he gathered 120 trained people and filled them with his spirit and power, and said, go. That's how they were able to manage such a harvest. Because they were prepared, they were trained, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began um, planting churches and having home Bible studies because they were equipped to do the work of God. Peter opened the door. Can we all stand, please? I'm not done, but time, so if you could stand. Peter opened the door. In Acts 2.38, as we know, he was letting everybody know how to be a citizen. How to be a citizen of this country so that you're in the ecclesia. He says in Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. 
and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord God shall call. And then the experience. I want to mention one more thing in the experience that's very important. The Jews received it. The Samaritans received it, right? The Gentiles received it. The religious received it. But I want to point out here something really quick with the Gentiles. And it's in Acts chapter 10, 44. Well, not, not that one. The Samaritans. Look at this. This is very important before we close and pray. Very important. The Samaritans. Acts chapter 8, verse 15 through 17. This is after Philip preached the gospel to the people. And there was joy in the city. And they were excited. And they were, you know, happy that, that, that God came to them. But listen to this. And they were baptized in water. It says, who, when they came down, Peter, and I believe James, right? Peter and James or John. Who, John, who, when they came down, prayed for them? Because Philip baptized them, but they have not received the Holy Ghost yet. So Philip called for Peter and John to come to take it further because it was not finished. They weren't citizens yet. They were getting there. But the process sometimes is long, but it will happen if you're persistent. So he called for Peter and John to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. It says, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. You see, they, they say now in the, in the secular world that once we confess Christ with our mouth and believe in our hearts, then we're saved. And that, and that God is in us. But we see here that these people believe the word. Philip preached with power and demonstration. And they believed. And that was good. And it was right. And Peter called an altar call. Who want to be baptized in Jesus' name? They all came down. They burned their books of sorcery and witchcraft. And they came and they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which is great. But it wasn't finished. They had to receive the stamp of approval. They had to receive the kingdom inside of them to be connected to the body of Christ. If you're here today and you have not been baptized in the, in the Holy Ghost, maybe you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which is good. It's for remission of sins and it's right. But you have not received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Today is your day. It's not an option. It's not something that, um, you know, something that we hope for and if we get it, it's okay. If not, it's okay. It's something that, that our Lord died for. Something in the body, in the flesh. It's something that he gave his blood for that we may be able to receive his spirit in us. So today is your day. I'm not sure who you are, but if you're here today and you're baptized in water but never been baptized in the Holy Ghost, he says if you ask him, he'll do it. If you believe, he will do it. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name, in your name, Jesus, we love you, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. 
We thank you, Lord God, that you give us every detail that we need to know to be saved, to receive the gospel, to receive your kingdom, to be translated from darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You have given us every word, every decree, every opportunity to do it. And many of us here have done it. And we are your children. And we are your church. We pray, God, during this service that you will look upon us, Lord. For those who have ailments in their bodies, we pray the faith to be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. For those who, are, who have sickness, terminal sicknesses in their bodies, we pray, God, that your virtue will flow to them today in the ecclesia, in the church, in the name of Jesus Christ. For those, Lord God, who have been baptized in your name, but who have not received the kingdom in their hearts, we pray today that faith will arise and they will accept your gift, Lord, your free gift. You said, whoever thirsts, come drink freely from the water of life. And I pray, God, this morning that you will move on somebody's heart. Move on that man's heart. Move on that woman's heart to be baptized in the church. To be a part of this great movement that you have. We thank you, God, for today. This is the day of salvation. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.